Permission to buzz the tower, Dave. Permission denied. All this and more coming up on This Week in Retro. High resolution color graphics. This land of high technology. The revolution in technology that made the information age possible. Those kids are not afraid of computers. Skipping across the sky. The lingering star. Chronicling flight. All this and more coming up on today's show. Up-to-date news for out-of-date tech. Just the two of us this week, Dave. We've been yeah. playing musical chairs lately with the show. I know, I know. Um, Chris is well, Chris is missing, but we need to tell you later why Chris is missing. Okay, okay. It's yeah, not a bad reveal. thing. It's not it a is a bad thing. thing. <laughs> it's always a bad thing when we don't have yeah. Chris with us. Yeah. Um, it's been an eventful week, and I think the highlight of my week has probably been Lee from More Fun Making It who um, was on the show with Thomas two weeks back, was that? That's right. Yeah, two weeks back. Uh, and then he had his live stream, which we talked about, charity live stream. Now I'm going to tell you two things. One will blow your mind. The first thing is Lee has, what is it, about 5,000 subscribers on YouTube? Yeah. yeah. Okay, that's the size of his channel. The mind-blowing thing is he managed to raise over £13,000 for the charity, uh, the befriending scheme, which Thomas attends. So it's really going to make a difference to lots of people's lives, but also Thomas's directly and therefore Lee's. Um, and that is a huge amount of money. And and both you and I got to be on the stream, didn't we, Dave? Yeah, yeah you were on for an hour, kind of warming the crowd up for me coming on. <laughs> um, no, I actually, I was slightly disappointed at it, it just from a purely selfish point of view, because it broke the £10,000 about five minutes before yeah. I came on. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we can really claim any credit for the amount raised when it was raised. No, no, but, um, no. I did chuckle when that happened because it was still with me just before I handed over to you. I was like, oh, it's nice to, nice to see that milestone the snatched away from Dave. In a flash, though. I really enjoy speaking to Lee. Lee's a great guy. Um, he's, he really his channel's really... Uh, the, the, the thing I like most about Lee is future Lee talking to Lee as he's fixing something, going, no, you've done that wrong. <laughs> yeah, it's a great channel. So that's more fun making it over on YouTube. Uh, a little bit of... Um, I'm not allowed to call it housekeeping because that's another segment. Cave keeping, a little bit of cave keeping. Uh, we've still got three workshops up and coming if anyone would like to attend. A workshop in 3D printing and design, a workshop in CRT repair, and a workshop in soldering for beginners. If you've never touched a soldering iron and you want to know how to do it, this is your chance. Uh, we've also got a really cool talk coming up tomorrow when this show goes out, so there's still time to book it. I'm assuming the last tickets haven't sold. We have Mark Hardesty. And we have Richard Stevenson now uh, attending. He wasn't coming before, but Mark's roped him into it. Gremlins. Uh, yeah, so Mark wrote the um, the history of Gremlin, the book that was published with Bitmap Books. And um, Richard was actually a programmer back in the day at Gremlin. So we've got an authentic old school coder from the company coming along to give us some inside gossip. And just purely by coincidence, you've heard me talk about Jason Daniels in the past, who mm. is going to run the Dev Den at the Cave <laughs> and had some games published in the 80s on the C64 was his thing. Well, it turns out that Richard Stevenson actually ported Jason's game, Die Alien Slime, to the Amstrad CPC. So he's he's worked on Jason's code back in the day. The really sad thing is Jason's in Croatia, so he's not going to get to see him on the oh. day. But I'm sure we can make some connections there and they can they can have a chat. Maybe it's for the best. I don't know how painful the experience of porting Jason's game was. <laughs> I don't I don't know if the Amstrad CPC would be a great platform for the game if it wasn't designed for it. Sometimes some of the ports ended up, you'll know yourself, so choppy. Mm. It's It's probably an easier process to go to something with, for example, hardware sprite support than it is to go from something yeah. with that kind yes. of support to something yeah. that, that hasn't in the case of the CPC. But yeah. um, there we go. So I'm really looking forward to meeting them. And you can too head to retrocollective.co.uk if you want to book those or any other sessions. Okay, end of cave keeping. Dave. Other than the, the Lee, Lee stream was great. Other than that, I've just been busy tidying things up. What I need for real life is a pause key. <laughs> a, pause, a pause button, catch up and everything, and pretend I'm a properly functioning adult rather than, uh, as you called me already this morning before we recorded, an omni shambles. <laughs> yes, I did. And on that <laughs> note, let's go into housekeeping. <laughs> 
housekeeping. It's time to shake it up on tour and make some changes. But don't worry, it's nothing too drastic. We're going to put a little bit extra in housekeeping if we're able to. We're going to try and do a little bit of a roundup of the things we didn't cover that are submitted to the subreddit, plus any comments with extra info or even corrections. And hopefully we'll have the time to, to sustain this. It's a little bit of extra work, but hopefully not too much. And because it might lead to this section being a bit bigger, we're going to move it until we've got into doing the stories. We don't want half the show gone before we get to the meat of it. Um, yeah, and, and, do you have an idea for what we should call it, Neil? <laughs> well, I did pitch a suggestion to you that I, we should call it Dave's Briefs, but um, it was vetoed, and I think it's. I think we're going to keep it as housekeeping, so we can carry on using the jingles and yeah. any other new jingles yeah. that anyone wants. Yeah, new to jingles, well, a new jingle for a while. But yeah, um, housekeeping is not. It's not just for me. It's for all of us. Um, I've had a bit of uh, a present come through. You may have noticed last week. Behind me, someone did um, uh, a moon pig uh, box sitting on my shelf, um, and in it was a present from Rich, our first bit of twer merchandise ever. It's a <laughs> mug with Dave's housekeeping, the logo on it, and on the back, my lovely pixel portrait, which at the same time is looking as looking like me, makes me look far less ugly. Uh, thank you, <laughs> Stu. So that's the first. Portrait, yeah, by yeah. Stu Cambridge. I think that was sort of your welcome gift for joining the show, wasn't it? We it was, yeah. Made up, yeah. 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 Um, I like it. It, it. It's funny how it, it does look like me. I just wish I did look like that as well, though. <laughs> um, so thank you very much, Rich. That's the first bit of merch we've ever had. No plans to do any merch, though. <laughs> Uh, ends 768 said my high school computer class in America had badger badger on every computer at least a couple of times to annoy the teacher in mid 2000s so that badger 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 thing made it out of the UK thanks for confirming uh, William Horseman confirms that badger made it to Alaska and he then goes on to give us some fantastic news the Ewok films from Star Wars are not considered <laughs> canon and they can be forgotten, written off, deleted. Great. Well, w William Hossman must be the authority on this, so we, yeah. we can take that as given. Um, just to add to the changes that you mentioned in housekeeping, one of the changes we're probably going to do is push it further into the show, aren't we? So, yeah. um, so we'll have... Story one, we usually have our sponsor slot after that. Story two, and then we'll put housekeeping there, like you say, so we can get into the meat of it a little bit quicker. Um, so, yeah, that would be good. Um, Stephen Gow, Graham Lewis, and others pointed out that it's deprecated, not depreciated. Uh, and Chris made that mistake last week. So uh, perhaps this is his punishment this week, why he can't be on the show. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the real reason? No, no, no. The, the real reason is that it's his wife's birthday. So happy birthday to uh, Mrs. Agama, 005. Uh, and his family are staying and, and they use the room that he records in as their overnight room. So unless we wanted a room full of, you know, snoring people while he recorded, um, it wasn't going to be a good <laughs> idea. Um, Mr. Sovak in YouTube comments asks if we know about the new Amstrad magazine from our friends at Addict Media. We certainly do. Uh, three of the four of us are really excited about it, and they've got a massive scoop, a really, really massive scoop in it, and we'll tell you more about that next week. It's a big one. Um, and some news that I saw is that Ian Lee, who you may know from a show called Thumb Bandits back in the day, do you remember that history of video games in which um, I think that's the last and only time we, we saw a real interview with Matthew Smith of Manic Minor and Jet Set Willie fame. Uh, he managed to bag that and it took a lot of work to gain his trust and to be able to go to his house and record it. Um, also a columnist in Retro Gamer, radio presenter, TV personality. He's done so much. He was on I'm a Celebrity, all of that stuff. Uh, he's announced that he's working on a retro gaming podcast and he started putting some gameplay videos up on his YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash at Ian Lee. So uh, potentially one to watch with his experience and his professionalism. <laughs> uh, and he was kind enough to have me on his Twitch show uh, a couple of weeks back where I got to chat to him. Um, one of the things he uh, mentioned was that Thumb Bandits episode when he interviewed Matthew Smith. The amount of flack that they got mm. for showing Matthew Smith in his 80s-themed bedroom 
as if Matthew Smith hadn't moved on since the 80s, when in actual fact it was a set made to look like the 80s <laughs> for, the, for the purpose of the show. It wasn't yeah. actually his bedroom. So, yeah. Um, yeah, he was telling us about that, yeah. Ian Lee did say that he does listen to the podcast. Um, he yes. knew who we were, and it, didn't, it wasn't just a, oh, yeah, listen to the podcast, don't ask me any questions about it. He knew something about it. He knew he had a Scottish accent, for example. So mm. I, I was quite impressed. He's a listener. So hello, Ian. And Hello, he Ian. did agree. You asked him if he'd come in the podcast, and he did say yes, although I wonder if that was just a case of him being polite because you were right there with him. We won't hold him to it, yeah. No. <laughs> Love to have him on, though. Yeah. We've also got some stories submitted to the subreddit this week which haven't been chosen but are worth mm -hmm. a mention. So what have you got there for us, Dave? So an Al's Geek Lab series on Gary Kiddle, the man who created CPM. Uh, fans... Um, are porting Mortal Kombat 2 to the 3DO, uh, a PCB that fits inside a Nokia phone shell with lots of connectivity. Uh, I'm not quite sure what it'll do. I know it's got Bluetooth and all sorts of stuff. I'm not, I'm not sure what the end goal is. I haven't had a chance to look at it, but it's quite intriguing. An interview about New Zealand's first computer, the HUG18U02, I think, or maybe that's a username of someone who's done it. Um, a neat little tool for supported emulators to add achievements to SNES, Mega Drive, and PS2 games, or if you're in America, Super Nintendo, Genesis, and PS2 games. Um, so you can have achievements like you would do in modern Steam, etc., on these old games, which adds an, an extra element to it. And finally, Hoffman's port, um, our friend Hoffman, a port of Metal Gear to the Mega Drive, has had an article in Time Extension. So all of a sudden, all the eyes are swiveling on to Hoffman and what he's doing there. It is very exciting. He, had, he, he did say he'd like to come on the show at some point, so hopefully we'll have him on at some point talking about what he's doing. Uh, mm. But yeah, have a look at subreddit. There's always stories being submitted. We only pick a few each week, and there's always things to have a look at uh, and chat to other people about. So yeah, have a look. Hoffman, making people's eyes swivel. And you can submit stories that you may be seen uh, while browsing the internet. Do people still browse the internet or do they just go to the one or two sites that they always go to these days? But maybe you've seen a story, you want to submit it uh, to share with others and perhaps we'll pick it up and talk about it in the show. Scroll. So, scroll the internet. That's what you do now. Scroll the internet. Yeah. 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 Uh, I should also remind people we do have a Patreon. So if you do, if you want to support the show, no obligation, of course, go to www.patreon.com slash this week in retro. Pajaco6502. Hello, Paul. He submitted a story this week with a familiar face in it. An article in national newspaper The Guardian documents the quest for Skyskipper, the rarest Nintendo arcade machine. In, in the world. world. Can I have some echo on that, please, Duncan? In the world. <laughs> That's the headline. Not my words, but the headline in the paper. And it's a lovely article written by Lewis Packwood, who I've had the pleasure of meeting in the cave in the past. He is very much a retro gamer. This isn't an article thrown into a paper because someone wanted to tick the retro gaming box that day. He is the real deal. The story is about the never-released Nintendo arcade game, Skyskipper, the recovery of which was a passion project by our very own Alex from the Arcade Archive, going back to 2015 and a little bit before that as well, I think. So I don't have Alex here with us today. He's driving to uh, London to do something today. Uh, but I have asked him to record in two minutes what the game is. So what is Skyskipper? <laughs> Here's Alex's explanation. The story of Skyskipper really starts with my obsession at the time to obtain some of the rarest and earliest games by Nintendo. Having already obtained rare games like Sheriff, Space Launcher and Radar Scope, Skyskipper was the only Nintendo game that I had never seen. It was mysteriously dumped into Maine, but yet no pictures of the actual cabinet existed. But fast forward a year and I travelled to Newcastle on a raid with fellow collectors to an old operator who was selling old arcade games. He had an unbelievable arcade collection of PCBs and we spent the whole day rummaging through hundreds of PCBs and sharing them out between us. It was at this point my friend handed me a PCB that looked like it had never been used and it had the label on it Popeye. But the serial number, which I recognised, was TNX01, an original Skyskipper PCB but a factory modded to play Popeye. To this day, I still can't believe uh, that I found that ball because on the way up to this raid, me and my friend joked 
about actually finding a Skyskipper PCB. So I, I still just can't believe that I found this. Um, but I knew I needed help with this game because I really wanted to complete this. I really wanted to make this game into an actual cabinet. But by this time, I'd found a, a flyer. And on this flyer was a black and white image of Skyskipper. The detail was pretty poor. I mean, you couldn't make out any of the artwork. Um, so we were going to have to use this flyer as some sort of reference to recreate this cabinet, which seemed impossible, but that is what we were going to do at this time. So with that in mind, I thought, right, I'm going to have to go stateside with this. So in America, chatting to all these people, we had Billy Mitchell, we had Jerry Momoa, who was actually a play tester for Nintendo. He actually uh, play tested Skyskipper Skipper before it went out on location. Because what Nintendo did was um, put 12 of these cabinets, well, there was 12 imported from Japan. Nintendo of America put these out on urns testing into colleges and universities and just to see if the game was going to do as well as Donkey Kong. It didn't. It failed miserably. I think it got around 20,000 plays compared to Donkey Kong's 100,000 so they decided Nintendo of America to scrap 11 of the games. They destroyed 11 and kept one. And that was down to Don James, who was the chief executive at the time. He decided to keep one and keep it in the lobby. And that's where it stayed for 20 years until we came along. Me and Whitney, well, I didn't go because I couldn't make it to America at the time. But Whitney went on my behalf. He was invited into Nintendo of America where they allowed him to scan the last remaining machine, which had the serial number 001 on it. And I guess the rest is history because, you know, we we took it to Atlanta. We revealed it to the world on stage with Billy Mitchell and Walter Day. And this was the first time that anyone had seen and was able to play an original Skyskipper. And, and the rest is history. <laughs> you know, that's, it's just an incredible story that really unfolded as it went, went along. I, mean, I never knew that it, this was going to happen. I never could see me going to America or any of that. It's just a fabulous story about a game that um, never saw the light of day. Before Alex was called the Arcade Archive, his YouTube channel was Nintendo Arcade, which, of course, we couldn't name our museum. We'd be up to the eyeballs in, in solicitor's letters if we did. Uh, he was an avid collector of arcades, particularly the Nintendo ones. So he knew Skyskipper was a thing, but all he had as evidence of it was a flyer showing the unreleased game. Now, Alex used to go on raids. These sound so cool. I want to go on a raid. He went on raids with fellow enthusiasts, and these are meetups with the agreement of the owner of warehouses, arcades, piers, whatever the location is, that they have permission to go in there. And they're generally arcades that have been neglected or abandoned, and they go in there with a view to just saving whatever they can, loading up their vans and giving a loving home to old Kip. It was on one of these raids where he spotted a PCB labelled Popeye, a game that Nintendo did release. Um, I've played it. It's, it's quite widely known. But the PCB had a code on the silk screen of TNX01, which from Alex's research he knew was the code for Skyskipper. So if anyone else had picked up this board, they would have just said, oh, it's Popeye and slung it in the van or got rid of it or whatever because it wasn't a rare board. But because Alex had done the research and knew the code, he knew that he'd found something special. He then worked with a friend to reverse the board back from Popeye to Skyskipper and that took a lot of work in itself. And eventually he had the game working on original hardware. Yeah, this is a great story. Uh, Alex did go on a, a real proper RPG style quest that started out small and took him all over the world, at least America uh, and all sorts. And the game is quite interesting too. It looks as if you're, you're bombing King Kongs and various other Kongs with your plane and picking up card rabbits. Um, and it's kind of a... It seems as if it's a great big map split into stages, a little bit like Ghouls and Ghosts, where it's one map, but you reach a certain point, it becomes a stage, I think. There's four There's there's four levels that loop. Um, right. And it scrolls both left and right. They're not huge oh. levels, but they do loop, yeah. Yeah, and you're flying in a plane, almost like Airwolf-style uh, gameplay, but good. Well, <laughs> compared, to, compared to Airwolf, it's great. Um, what cabinet did he put it in, Neil? 
Yeah, so the original flyer that Alex had, I believe it showed both a cocktail and an upright version of the game, both unreleased. And it was the upright that was the classic shape that we see Donkey Kong, Popeye, Mario, you know, that shape where it's got the speaker grill at the front. Um, it's got a monitor set deep into the cabinet, set back into it with the bezel right upright in front of you. It doesn't lay down on the monitor. I really quite like that. Um, it's a very attractive and very collectible cabinet. So he took one of those. He got chatting with Nintendo of America, who surprisingly supported the project. And he, he was let into their vault to scan the artwork because one of these cabinets did exist. Nintendo are one of these companies who seem to keep one of everything that they actually make. So in their vaults, they did have a Skyskipper, but they allowed Alex to scan it. They recreated the artwork the marquee, the bezel, everything. And the result was a brand new Skyskipper cabinet, which was fully playable. Um, I think he used, uh, yeah, it was a Popeye cabinet. I think he used as the donor cabinet as it was the same shape. And that is now in the arcade archive for any visitors to come and play. Super rare machine and incredible that Alex lets people touch it. <laughs> Not just touch it, you know, hammer it, play it, which is what it was designed to do. So that's nice. Um, it's an amazing story. It's not an amazing game, Dave. Um, is it not all key, though? It looks, it looks fine okay. to me. It's not terrible. I mean, you fly no. a plane, you've got to rescue the king and queen or two jokers on each stage. You've got to bomb the gorillas, as you said, and you've got to free the royals from their cages. It doesn't look typically Nintendo, if I'm honest. The characters in the game are very Nintendo, but the scenery is quite blocky and crude. Um, it doesn't quite gel as you know, with a Nintendo feel. It's an interesting game from the point of view that it's interesting to play to understand why it didn't go on sale. Did, has Alex ever found out if the game was properly fully finished and polished and all the rest of it? Because there's periods when you're playing it uh, uh, and you're flying from one bit to the other and it's only a few seconds, but nothing's happening. There's no sounds or anything. It just feels as if it's not quite all there. Hmm, that's a good question. Uh, you'll have to ask Alex that, but I know that it did receive some home ports on some systems so it must have been finished enough maybe we need to compare it to some of the home ports yeah i don't um, know if part of the design process is afterwards they would put a little a few embellishments with whatever cpu cycles they felt they had left i don't know yeah but all in all that's the beauty of retro gaming it's the games that didn't make it that have the most interesting stories and the most valuable lessons to teach us and this particular skyskipper is a story of alex's passion as well as of Nintendo's history. So it's really interesting. There's a link in the show notes to the article by Lewis, uh, as well as to Alex's Arcade Archive channel. And if you dig into that, just look for Skyskipper on his channel, you'll find the original Rage, you'll find him mulling over what to do with it, the reverse engineering, the cabinet build. And then they were actually invited to reveal it um, at Nintendo uh, and billy mitchell and other people like that were there um that was trigger some comments you can't say that name without triggering comments on this show <laughs> and uh i don't think he's a cheat well let's not go into he's that a right terrible now. Cheat. <laughs> no i'm i'm, I'm I, I don't know i don't i, I do you know i don't even care I, i've i've never paid any attention to that side of things that never bothered me and actually it was it was billy who helped part of the process or so i'm told by alex because alex had this flyer and he was reaching out to people saying, come on, did this game ever exist? Did Nintendo actually ever make it? Was it just trashed and unfinished? And Billy was one of the people who came forward and said, I remember that. I played on that in like Nintendo's lobby once many years ago. So it was just that little seed of confirmation that Alex, had, Alex needed to pursue the project further and go, okay, I've got to hunt this down. Um, so he did play a small part in it there. Anyway, go to Alex's channel youtube.com forward slash arcade archive uh check out the guardian article and enjoy learning all about skyskipper we have a new sponsor this week wow uh, wow yes somebody has been crazy enough to come forward and ask to sponsor our show and and i asked them okay how do you want us to approach this you know the, we don't really want rules around what we can and can't say with sponsorship and uh they said you're the professionals you decide <laughs> yeah, and I, and I don't want us ever to be <laughs> reading from a script or putting the same jarring kind of 
and now the sponsor slot. So um, hopefully you'll find this interesting enough to listen oh, to it. Now I uh, want we you thank to do you. A, a slot in that voice, Dave. <laughs> PCB Way sponsor this week in retro. They do. It's PCBWay.com this week. <laughs> so uh, let's bring everyone up to speed on what's going on over there. There is currently a design contest underway at PCBWay.com. It's their sixth annual design contest. And there's two categories to this, PCB design and also um, mechanical design, because PCBWay do your 3D printing, your CNC, and your sheet metal fabrication, all of that stuff. So um, I was looking through the entrance to the design competition a real wide variety of things but i noticed the multi-system is in there because i when the multi-system went open source i uploaded it so people could get pcbs made there and um they they just picked up on it and entered it into the contest so <laughs> there you go i'm now in the contest with something i didn't design <laughs> yeah yeah well it, it is a good design i noticed that people are starting to do it now there's, there's been questions asked about asked to Heber about how to do certain things and, uh, and all the rest yeah. of it so i hope i hope that we see people starting to make their own multi-systems and what i really hope is that people make little adjustments to it little mm -hmm. things innovations that i would never have thought of what happened to it. i hope that happens to it i had um a dhl notification just before we started recording of a delivery today which is the multi-system made by PCB Way with all the components on the board. So I can just right. pop that in and test it. Um, and when I say, you know, I've, I've checked it out with Heber um, and then we can say to them, yeah, that's good to go. And then they can just hit the green button on um, on any orders that people put in for that. So that's great. Fantastic. Um, they've also got a shared project section at PCBWay.com, which I think everyone should check out. Um, I picked three things out that I spotted. So the point of the shared project section is you just pick a project, you click a button to put it in your basket and, and it gets delivered to you. So there are th things such as an Amiga PSU powered by USB-C. I, I like this because if you're trying to power uh, an Amiga or an Atari ST or anything at all um, from the wall, from 240 or 120 volts or whatever the slight variation is, the big the, the big difficulty is getting from that down to about twelve or five volts. That's the big that's the the, the the beefy thing. And there are now lots of USB C power supplies on eBay, cheap secondhand ones, you may have spare ones yourself. So if we can have projects that rely on getting the USB C power and using that to go most of the way, then we can do something cheap, inexpensive and efficient and effective to power us up things. So I, I really like that one. Um, another one that popped out for me was a board to convert your VGA signal to output amber or green on a standard color monitor to get that monochrome feel. So, amber, I don't have an amber monitor. I wish I did amber. Well, you don't need one so because this board, you would, you would, it would just convert it for you. So that's kind of cool if you want to play your text adventures. Um, and then something not retro, a one-handed soldering device, Dave. Is so, yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think I sold enough for it. I'm thinking Linux Jedi that, that that we know on our Discord does loads of, he makes loads of little boards up for the shops to sell. Um, but I looked at this and thought, don't be so stupid, this Heath Robinson thing, don't be so stupid. <laughs> and then I watched a video of the guy doing it. It's like, bye, it works, it works, it works, it works. It's great. It's, it's a... It's, it's a it's a harebrained scheme that actually someone's seen through, through and it and it, it is it, it's it's relatively simple he presses a button to solder the soldering wire comes in spools itself forward a little bit and he completes the soldering of the pen and moves on amazing amazing and the reason that i'm very happy to have pcb way sponsor us is because i do actually use them so just this week I placed an order for the redesigned or replicated PC20 motherboards for the Commodore PC20 that was absolutely destroyed. I showed on my channel to the point where we decided let's create a brand new motherboard by reverse engineering the original one. So that work's been done and I placed the order for 10 of those motherboards um, so that I can share some out with the guys that helped with the reverse engineering. So I will hopefully show them to you next week. Hopefully they'll arrive this week and um, we can check out the quality of them and use them in a future video to restore that PC. So if you have any PCB needs, 3D printing needs, or anything else like that, pcbway.com. 
Was that all right, Dave? A bit too professional, Neil. Too a professional. bit too professional. Okay, we'll try and we'll need to really it hammer up next next week with some <laughs> uh, next time with some uh, some some errors. Although we never put any forced errors in. It's, no, no. it's all it's never it's never intentional. No, that's right, Chris. I like it when a new game references an old classic. And this week, Chris has submitted a story about the new Bethesda open-world RPG, Starfield, making references to the seminal BBC micro-classic and possibly most important game ever. Argue in the comments if you want. You're wrong. Elite. (laughs) Um, Before we go on about that, let's talk about what Chris has done by accident, or maybe he's just more clever than we think. Neil, three years ago, almost to the day, a new podcast appeared. It was, of course, Neil, but we can't forget the daddy, John, boat of car Schaller together. <laughs> um, here's John. Hey, all. It's Big Daddy here. I just want to say congratulations on three years of This Week in Retro. Neil, Dave, Chris... You managed to make the past so entertaining that even Marty McFly would be jealous. Here's to more nostalgic laughs, epic retro gaming stories, and keeping the 80s and 90s alive, one pixel at a time. Cheers, guys. Daddy John. And what was the title for episode one? Well, it was Elite on the Vectrex. So it's all come right back around. So, Neil, before we talk about the story, how do you feel about your three years on this week in retro yeah three years 140 shows i mean granted i haven't been present for every single one but 140 shows uh, my reaction is how the hell has that happened it's gone so quickly so quickly we're, we're nearly retro yeah <laughs> the good thing about it is there's four of us so when uh when one of us can't uh, well actually no one picks up slack for Duncan because Duncan's irreplaceable. No, <laughs> but exactly. one of the three of us can't do it, or when we don't have the time to do all the research we want, the rest of us pitch in, and um, it, it's much easier carrying the burden that way. I really do feel for people who are on their own doing a YouTube channel, there's no one else to help them out when they go and get stuff. Imagine uh, but that. Yeah. Hmm? <laughs> Imagine that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, uh, we, we enjoy doing it. So um, thank you for... Watching us for three years, listening to it for three years, let's hope there's more. And it all started, Richard Shears pointed out, I wouldn't have spotted it if Richard Richard Shears hasn't pointed out the anniversary. So the story itself talks mostly about Elite, which is a good thing because I've not played Starfield yet. I don't have anything to say about it. Um, I'm sure I will play it because I played almost all of Bethesda's RPGs and I really like the look of it. The idea is it's, it's... Sort of like boys sk- in space. Isn't that Skyrim. What Skyrim. Skyrim yeah. in space, I think. Oh, okay. okay. Pigs in space. No, <laughs> not that But it's cowboys, isn't it? Aren't they wearing cowboy hats? Are they? Or, or are hats optional? I, I, this is showing the, the, the very shallow depth of my research into Starfield. It's not it's not a game I've played yet. I know there's a, it's almost like a competition out there to find glitches in the game that look funny and to put I know that Mark from our Discord, the first thing he did was put a basket on someone's head so they could steal from them. Uh, all these tropes. Um, there is a guide I've just found. There's a guide on how to get a cowboy hat in Starfield. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's possible. Um, but not, not by default. The article says, the truth is Starfield and Wing Commander and No Man's Sky and countless other space games likely wouldn't have existed if it wasn't for Elite. It was the first game that took us to another galaxy from the comfort of our bedroom. It is unquestionably the godfather of space games. Now, I like seeing something that's, that's unequivocal like that. Um, and it's true as well. Um and I'm glad to see them get it right. And so was Chris. Chris commented, I was screaming these words when No Man's Sky came out with its procedurally generated galaxy as if no one had done it before. And that was, of course, was a big thing with Elite. Um, it fit into 32 kilobytes of memory and galaxies in it. So as we mentioned before, it had a seed with only a few minor changes to get rid of apparently rude words. It generated the galaxy on its own from that seed every time. And that's what Bethesda have done here with Starfield. So, Neil, where have your travels in space taken you? What games have had you traveling the stars? Mm-hmm, good question. So, yeah, I mean, it, the article is completely right. There were space games before, of course. Yeah. 
but not to this scale. Uh, not in this and style. a long time before it as well, like twenty years before it. There was space yeah. games. Yeah, plenty of that. Um, and then, of course, things like Star Wars inspired even more and Star Trek and all of that stuff. But when, when did Mercenary came, come out? The first one was it was mid-80s. So, yeah, it had, had time to be inspired a little bit by Elite, I think. Um, Captain mm-hmm. Blood clearly inspired yeah. by Elite in all its French quirkiness. Wing mm-hmm. Commander series, of course, you mentioned, which is one of those games that actually transitioned well into the CD-ROM multimedia era because it had cutscenes from the start on, you know, on the capacity of a floppy disk, uh, and then it moved into FMV. Um, and all of these games, of course, inspiring Star Citizen by Chris Roberts, the creator of Wing Commander which I backed, but I don't know if I'll ever get to play the complete game of, so <laughs> we'll have to see how that comes along. Um, but the most hardcore space game I think I've ever played, Dave, Microsoft Space Simulator. You ever played that one? No, I have not. No, I, the, <laughs> okay. the name doesn't appeal to me. It, it, it built on the success of their flight sim range. I think it used the same engine. It put you in a space shuttle on the launch pad in the game with a huge manual, all the dials, all the switches to press, and I never got into space. The game was so frustrating. I just exploded every time. Um, <laughs> maybe I should go back and visit. There was another one like that um, published by Virgin. I think it was just called Shuttle. I, I never tried that one to see if it was a, a little bit more accessible, but the Microsoft one was hardcore. Did you play Kerbal? No, no. And everyone speaks so fondly of Kerbal. Yeah, it's 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 a bit like that. You're trying to get into space. It's a bit like that. It's got a feel of a flash game, a little bit of a feel of a flash game to it as well. But yeah, I, I love the idea of the imagination gap, reading the, the novella for Elite, it put you in space. You really felt as if you were there. As a few games that have kind of got me back to the same place again, obviously uh, Frontier and then Frontier First Encounters, that's Elite 2 and then Elite 3. But um, EVE Online uh, got me there. EVE Online really did feel like you were in space. Um, and then... Um, Mass Effect, a totally different game, but Mass Effect did get there. They tried, Bioware tried with uh, Knights of the Old Republic, and you could see that they were, you see how they, they had ideas grander than Knights of the Old Republic in mind, and then when you had Mass Effect, and you landed on a planet's surface, and you're walking out there, you really did feel like you were being in space. That The thing with space is that the scale, and trying to get that into a game is so difficult. But yeah. yeah, it's such a difficult balance to give the sense of scale and to be able to curate the experience of where the player is going and to give them something interesting to find in each location. And to that degree, Elite could feel like a bit of a grind somewhere, both old and newer versions. Elite Dangerous, for example, it can start to feel like Euro Truck Simulator at times. Okay, I'm hmm. ferrying you know, item A to, to, to you know, place B to trade it for item B and back and forth. Um, and No Man's Sky could feel like that to a degree as well. So you, you've got to be careful not to just get into this repetitive pattern of of grinding and, and well, repeating yourself on each planet. I've got to a planet, I need to get this, this, and this to get off and get to the next one. And then it becomes a little bit boring. Um, and, and the bubble bursts and you, you, you kind of see the game for what it is. So you've got to be so careful with that. Um, I don't know that there is a solution to that. You cannot create a game of that scale um, and curate it short of crowdsourcing the entire thing and having thousands and thousands of people involved. There's only two ways to do it. The way that Mass Effect did it was it didn't have the procedurally generated you can go anywhere you want. If you can see it, you can go to an idea. It didn't have that. And that worked well for it because you never felt as if you were in the typical kind of Bethesda Skyrim dungeon, you're thinking, this is the same as the last one I was in. They've just taken elements, chopped them up, and put it together again. Um, Potentially, this is where AI comes in to help gaming. You could potentially have a game of elite scale, and you you, you seed the AI as much as you seed the universe to come up with stories. What What about a game on the scale of elite or Starfield when... Now, they, they talk about Elite Dangerous and say only 1% of locations have been visited, even though it's 10 years old. What about if you go somewhere and you're the first person to go there, it's not real until you arrive and then the AI generates it for you and then it's, it's you made that happen. That'd be a nice feeling. 
that'd be nice but um also a nice aspect of these games is that they're now massively multiplayer and it's nice to have a shared experience so if you yeah. find a planet that is has something particularly unique about it it's nice to send someone else there to come and see it as well so yeah. but again if I, yeah it's difficult isn't it maybe the ai can generate it and then it becomes a fixed thing <laughs> that's what i mean that's what i mean yeah. when you go there the first time you were the one that caused it to happen is then it's then a fixed thing forever because yeah. you were there but then the way i see ai adding value to this kind of thing is not just the creation of the world it's the storytelling it's the the missions the objectives within the world within the planet to make it feel you know also the the npcs that might be on the planet to give breathe life into them mm. so the universe could feel much more complete and curated even though it's automated yeah interesting times when i play when i eventually do get around to starfield I'll be one. I will not be able to stop thinking about: Is this a handcrafted one, or is it a procedurally generated one? And I have this sneaking suspicion it will become a little bit transparent fairly quickly because you'll be able to spot it. I don't know them until I play it. Um, the article, though, is a really good deep read. Go and read it. And there's one final thing. There was a comment from Marasam pointing out, and this is on uh, the subreddit when uh, Chris. So better the story, noting that the starting area in Starfield is Jemison, which is surely a reference to the d- default pilot in, in Elite Commander Jemison. So I'm glad to know that they're respecting the roots. Dave, I seem to have a reputation as someone who loves flight sims, and I have to clarify this. I do. I, I spent a huge amount of time on them. But in the modern day, I find that the investment in time that you need to be put into getting the most out of these ever more complex beasts is very hard to make. Modern flight sims are incredibly complex and require time and study to get the most out of them. And without that, I face exactly the same kind of frustrations that I did with Microsoft Space Simulator. Mm. Um, But this isn't new. Flight sims have always strived to be more realistic. They always came with huge manuals and keyboard overlays, and they always demanded your time. I just had more of it to spare. And I think that rings true of many genres, not just flight sims. Um, I know you're always talking about the lack of time and how much you want to cram into it and and how do you prioritize what you're going to do, Dave? Do you not find that you used to be able to have this infinite source of patience to go so deep into a thing and not do anything else and it'd be okay? Whereas these days something else is say I really should do this instead. Yeah, and I don't know if that was the lack of distraction back in the day, if it was the um, the, the lower availability of games. We've talked about all these things mm. in the past. You know, the, is the quality of your experience enhanced by a reduction in, in, in options in experience? You know, there are only so many games available. I'm going to play this one. I'm going to dedicate all of my time and all of my effort and i think time just moves slower when you're younger yeah yeah <laughs> just moves we can't slower. be 15 again unfortunately the thing is a new experience and your brain's just wearing away taking in savory in every single moment of it and that was particularly true of exciting new games that were pushing the boundaries so the reason i'm talking about all of this is that there was a video submitted of an episode of computer chronicles which aired in 1990 uh, Computer Chronicles, which didn't air in the UK, we had our own I know. shows, but we didn't have Computer Chronicles. So it's a really interesting show to go back and watch as a Brit who didn't experience it first time. And this particular episode focuses on flight sims of the day. And 1990 is a really interesting time for the genre because it's a chance for IBM PC compatibles and Macintoshes of the day to really flex their processing power. Flight sims being mathematically intensive pieces of software gpus not being available at the time to help with 3d rendering at least not outside of commercial flight sim projects so all of this meant that the cpu was king and when you had a motorola 68000 in your machine like i did and like i'm assuming dave did at the time you would look on in awe at what was happening in the world of pc flight sims so this is the kind of tv segment that would have had me drooling um quite literally I know Chris would have been too. He would have been sat there next to me with a, a puddle of drool on our desk, shared desk. But Dave, would this have piqued your interest? That's a lovely picture I've just painted, isn't it? Yeah, let's let's move on from that. Um, I would have loved to watch this. The, this segment is is fantastic. It, it is great. Um, 
it would have piqued my interest. I was into flight sims, particularly at that point in time. Do you remember, though, they're just off on a tangent here, do you remember a dozen episodes or so we talked about capturing CRT images on camera? I think it was Tomorrow's World. My, my details might be wrong about BBC Micro and Spectrum games, but they captured the actual, they recorded the footage from the CRT, and I felt it looked much better than a direct capture from a cable. I think you might have done too, because I think it inspired you to try it in your videos as well, did you? Yeah, I mean, in the past, I've done it. Usually when I've done it going way back, it's because I haven't had time to set up the capture system. So it's like, right. okay, I need to get this recorded. Let's just point the camera at the screen. But in more recent months, I've been thinking, actually, this looks better. This looks nicer. Um, so I've been making efforts to record CRTs uh, in a better way, whether that's um, putting a hood over the monitor and myself mm -hmm. with the camera mm -hmm. to, to kill all reflections, or whether it's stepping back, allowing the background to blur and allowing a little bit of reflection on the screen, not too much, but just a little bit mm -hmm. so that it gives a nice, warm, fuzzy feeling when you watch it and you almost think, oh, that could have been my desk back in 1989, you know? Um, so I think there's a lot to be said for recording CRTs directly, yeah. Well, th this, if, if we ever wanted a video to show how good it makes them look, this is the video for it, because they look, they look fantastic on it. Um, as for flight sims, 1990 was a great time for me for flight sims because what was coming out was just what I wanted. I wanted it to feel real, but I didn't want to worry too much about all the, the intricacies of getting it right I wanted combat missions and objectives, and there was loads of that going about. Uh, when it comes to Microsoft Flight Sim and trying to be as accurate as I can, I, I will take a pass on that. I've never had any real interest in it. Um, I'm mildly interested in seeing what the pre-VR expensive setups that people had with all the monitors and so on for the, for those flight sims. But I, I, I might play for five minutes, but I wouldn't want to spend any time in those. I need the I need the, the story to be there about the, the missions and the objectives and all the rest of it just to give that edge to me. That's why things like Wing Commander did so well with the yeah. cutscenes and the uh, extra excitement of space and the scene of people running to the ships when the mission starts. And then later, I mean, I'm, I'm amazed you managed to squeeze that paragraph out, Dave, with, uh, without mentioning X-Wing or TIE Fighter. So well done. I'm you. thinking about it right now. <laughs> I know I'm you are. About it. I know you are. <laughs> X-Wing. <laughs> So in this Computer Chronicles episode, we see Microsoft Flight Sim 4 demonstrated. And the buzz on this version, Dave, is all about being able to change the weather and the time of day. Imagine it, no, flying in the rain at night. Amazing. <laughs> you don't get rain in space. Um, <laughs> and then we see the CEO of Spectrum Holobyte, um, Gilman, is on there, joined by Wild Bill Steely, co-founder of Microprose. And there's a really nice contrast between <laughs> these two. <laughs> Gilman is like your classic geek. Sat next, sat next to Wild Bill, wearing his flight suit, all full of confidence. And uh, the first thing he says is he tells Gilman that Microprose were training fighter pilots with their software first. He's not taking any prisoners. I think Gil Gilman got in there, you know, oh, we've used this to actually train real pilots. And then Wild Bill's like, yeah, well, I am a pilot and <laughs> we did it first. Which of, the two of them, which of the two of them watching that, which of the two of them left you with the better impression of them? Probably Probably Gilman because yeah. my personality is just to favour the the more humble guy. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, he's, he's, he's a character. I mean, well, Bill is, is is a character. Yeah, but yeah, not one I'd I want to spend any time with. <laughs> he's got quite an intense look about him. You know, in yeah. his eyes, there's something about yeah. his eyes that's quite yeah. intense. Yeah. yeah, I wouldn't get in his way. Yeah, so Gilman's demonstration, it's quite funny because he's like, okay, here's our flagship product. He takes off uh, and then he immediately crashes. <laughs> um, and then, I mean, this is testament to Computer Chronicles. They, they managed to weave in the conversation and cut away to a different angle of whoever they're talking to while somebody must be furiously crawling around on the floor, swapping video cables, swapping the computer around, do you think, to get the next game up? That's all got to be happening in real time. So they do that well. So Wild Bill then demonstrates Microprose's F-15, I think it's Strike Eagle 2, and he makes it all sound so much sexier with his patter. <laughs> and for some inexplicable reason, Highway to the Danger Zone starts playing. It's not It's not in the game. They just start playing the music over it. Um, Gilman didn't get any music. 
So maybe he did. Maybe it's because he immediately crashed and wasn't in the air for, for long enough to get music. But uh, w- what's nice actually about this demonstration is that Bill proves that he really does know the game. Yeah. He is a good salesman, but he's playing this game really well and he's explaining what he's doing or what he's about to do. He knows all the key combos and key presses. He treats us to some external views as he launches missiles and kills the things that he's shooting at. So he does a really good job. Flight sims are exciting, Dave. They are when it's this type, when they've got the... Those those type of flight sims, yeah. Yeah. So later on, we see uh, Moses, who's from Velocity Development, and he then immediately <laughs> trash talks Bill by saying that his Bill's flight sim is old hat and Jet Fighter is the new king. He talks about how Jet Fighter's been nominated for Game of the Year in that particular year, and Bill's hasn't. And then Berlin's Take My Breath Away starts playing while he, <laughs> he flies Jet Fighter. And um, Jet Fighter, not Flighter. And here's the, here's the killer feature of Jet Fighter. Moses tells us, this game has built-in antivirus, Dave. Is Don't that, care. Is that a feature you look missiles. for Missiles. Give me missiles. While you're, while you're shooting things down, it doesn't worry, it's checking for viruses. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then the next game we see is A-10 Tank Killer, which is a really good example of why my machine wasn't good enough at the time. It was released on the Amiga, but you needed... Um, I think it was at least a 68010 or maybe a 20 to actually play the game. You needed a beefy accelerator to get any kind of performance out of it whatsoever. So I never played it back in the day. Uh, it had a gorgeous box of an A10 flying out of a orange sun. It's it's a lovely um, piece of work published by Sierra. And um, if you wanted to use it on something like your Amiga, you needed an accelerator. You, you really needed a hard disk and it was much better to put that kind of money into buying a pc if sims were your thing this really was a turning point and that's a 1990 game you would have thought a 1990 game for the amiga relying on accelerator was a bit um it may have taken a little bit longer to actually come to the amiga i think no i've I've just checked 1990 yeah so 1989 for dos and 1990 for the amiga can you see the um the minimum specs for the amiga have you got that on the screen what do you need oh yeah, I mean, it may uh, well be that it runs on a stock Amiga, but, you know, it yeah, runs. Yeah, they, they, don't, like to, really they run. don't like to say this won't run in your stock Amiga. Don't buy it. Yeah. Um, I'll keep talking. You, you, you look into that if you can. Um, so we see um, A10 Tank Killer. And then I think my favorite part of the whole show, and the, the whole episode is dedicated to flight sims, save for the news in brief section, their, their own version of housekeeping. Um, my favorite part is when they take a trip to a software store called Egghead Software. So Egghead Software are hosting a computer air show of flight sims, which I think is brilliant. And I'm saying it now, there will be a computer air show at the cave in the future. (laughs) It's got to happen. I want to go back to 1990. I want to be in that store. And I also love the shots of the computer store where you can see the people looking at the games on the shelves. There's signage, including accessories. Oh, oh. <laughs> and I bet they don't have a single copy of Dizzy in there, Dave. <laughs> one meg, Amiga computers, one meg required, kickstart 1.2 or better. So there you go. Oh, okay. So yeah, older Amigas, 1.2. Yeah. Um, but with a, a yeah, a bit of extra RAM in the trapdoor. But you would not get a good experience out of that setup. It would be like a slideshow. Even mm-hmm. with the graphics turned down, you're better off playing F29 or F18 or and you know some of the microprose ones. Um, they also show peripherals, yokes. <laughs> they show yokes in the egg store, Dave. <laughs> um, and overall, the show is just a really lovely snapshot of the state of flight sims hardware and rival companies battling out for sales in that genre in 1990. So Dave, anything else stand out for you in this segment? There's something it made me think of, and it's a somewhat famous letter sent into compute from Gilman Louis from Spectrum Holobyte complaining about the piracy of Falcon on the Atari ST. Um, that same guy that's in this segment, I think. They're all young as well. They're all younger than us, Neil. And you're looking at it going, these should be old wise heads and they're all younger than us and they're not. Um, let me find the, the, the letter. It says, um, 
talking to Atari users, we learned many wanted to see our best-selling air combat simulator Falcon converted to the Atari ST. Many of our competitors warned us that releasing an ST product would be a money loser. We were told that within weeks the product would be up on the bulletin boards and sales would be sales would fall to zero. We chose to disregard these comments and felt that the piracy problem only existed within a small handful of users. However, within 30 days of our releasing Falcon, uh, Atari ST Falcon, pirates had put the product up on the bulletin boards, complete with diagrams for the code wheel protection, keyboard layouts, and mission maps of the product. The real cost of such software piracy is not the $49.95 sale, but rather the lost industry support for the Atari ST. Many ST owners argue that the ST has no more pirates than the IBM or Mac. Many of us at Spectrum Holobyte believe this to be true. The problem is that the number of installed STs is considerably smaller than that of the IBM or Macintosh, thus increasing the impact of piracy on sales. In addition, ST pirates seem better organized and piracy seems more accepted, or should I say tolerated by ST users. I'll come in there and say why. It's because the ST was a machine bought for your kid's Christmas and the Mac or the PC was what a professional used and played games in, the, in their spare time. The cost of developing and publishing a product is quite high, especially on a complex machine like the ST. The Amiga version sales volume is already double that of the ST, even though Amiga Falcon has been on the market for less time. When Macintosh and IBM versions were released, they sold four times the volume of product over the same period of time. Based on the current sales trend, the ST developer will be lucky to break even. There is no clear-cut solution to the problem of piracy. All we can ask is that if you buy, like a program, buy it. Think of it as an investment. The more investment, the more invested, the more and better titles you see for the ST. It's a shame that a few users can hurt a market as badly as the ST pirates can and deprive thousands of good ST users of the product support that other machines receive. Yeah, well, there you go. It's, yeah, it, the usual piracy debate, really, isn't it? That, that's yeah. like nothing really new there. Piracy happens. Um, there's also uh, this is also a period where the, the PC is taken off as a as a games machine, particularly in the sim market. And developers have got to be thinking: Well, is it worth our time porting this game from the x86 platform to 68,000 platform to support things like the Atari, the Amiga, even the Macintosh um, at the time. So- it's just this, there are different machines. If you if you had a, no, very few kids would get a PC bought for them for their Christmas to play games on, but loads would get the the ST and the Amiga for that reason. So it's a different market and they, they, people don't have $50 to spend on a new game um, that way. So it, yeah, it's just the way it is, unfortunately. A little bit of extra info. Gilman was also appointed to serve as a member of the US President's Intelligence Advisory Board in 2022. So this is a smart guy. He's he started a lot of businesses. He's advised other people on how to start businesses up. He's a clever guy beyond the world of programming flight sims. He's also credited on Falcon 4, which was published under the name Microprose, but that's because Microprose was bought by Mm -hmm. Spectrum Holobyte, his company, um, when Microprose hit hard times in the early 90s. Falcon 4 was then in development hell for six years. Microprose, Spectrum Holobyte bought Microprose or Microprose bought Spectrum Holobyte? Spectrum Holobyte bought Microprose. Oh, okay. Um, Falcon was then in development hell for six years. And then when it was released under the Microprose name, Falcon 4, it had been bought that year by Hasbro, who, who bundled it out the door. Um, you know, it could have done with even more time. So Gilman worked under the Spectrum Holobyte and under the Microprose banner too. So flight seems to remain a staple part of modern gaming. They continue to push every aspect of your PC to the limit. I mean, is there a better benchmark than how many frames per second you can get out of your rig with the detail turned right up to the max in a flight sim? Very few um, alternatives out there to really push your system. But am I being an old man shouting at clouds? Yes. When I say that some of the magic has gone when compared to those early days, or is it still there for you? When Microsoft releases a new version of a flight sim or a new plane comes out, a new add-on for DCS, does that excite you? Are flight sims still exciting? Are they a little bit boring for you now? Or have they always been boring? Head over to our subreddit 
do take a moment to watch the episode and comment on the story in the subreddit. I'd love to hear your thoughts. And um, I'd love to hear if you'll be turning up in your flight jacket for my computer air show. Let us know. <laughs> yeah, we didn't we didn't mention that in the story, but while Bill was there in full uniform, he was <laughs> <laughs> like he was going to a Star Trek convention in the full Starfleet outfit. <laughs> maybe maybe Wild Dave will be at my computer air show. Nah, <laughs> nah, I would go. I would go. I would enjoy that. Yeah, Don't I would pretend. enjoy that. Don't pretend. <laughs> Time now for our community question of the week. So uh, last week's question set by Chris and Dave were, which TV shows press your nostalgia button? What was the show where you, that you had to be in front of at a specific time with your TV tuned into a specific channel? Maybe there's a modern show that gives you the same vibes. Let us know. Are we, are we drifting into TV nostalgia here, Dave? I take one week off and it's all about TV nostalgia. It was about, you know what it was about. It was about the guy who had made the TV set. Oh, that was... yeah, to stream shows yeah. as yeah. they were released originally, yeah. Okay, um, Dave, uh, have you closed contest mode? Yes, I have. Brilliant. You Still haven't got that dramatic jingle to be in there. We need um, a jingle. Give us a jingle. A dramatic jingle. Okay, top answer comes from, oh, it's Richard again, Richard Shears. He says, a very unimaginative answer, Red Dwarf. Going into school on the Tuesday, excited to talk about it. Sadly, all my friends looked blank. Thankfully, that changed and it became the most talked about show in the playground, even overshadowing talk about Rocket Ranger, Dungeon Master and Speedball. Other honours go to Starfleet, jumping out of bed. Ha, that's something that hasn't happened for years. On Saturday morning, running downstairs with the box of Lego in hand to watch it, being inspired to make spaceships out of Lego. Red Dwarf's a good answer for me because... All of them appeared on the iPlayer again in recent months, and um, I've watched them all from start to finish. It's a show with a very definite lull in the middle where things go a bit wrong, uh, and then it finds its stride again in later years. But the earliest episodes are very definitely the golden episodes, I yeah. think. Yeah. Yeah. Where they don't rely on, on plots, they rely on the characters more than anything else. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Go ahead, Dave. What's the next one? Am CPC four six four says computer wise for me it was a show show called Cyberzone hosted by Craig Charles. Oh, now what the show was Craig? Yeah, yes, yeah. A bit of a mix between Nightmare and the Crystal Maze in a week. Yeah, it was. Um, I just remember that it felt as if they said, right, we've got three minutes of footage, pad it out to half an hour, Craig. <laughs> um, it was a great show. And sadly, somewhat forgotten now. Yeah, I, I think it came a bit later than the other TV shows. It um, did. It used I, um, PCs to create a VR-like experience, didn't it? Which yeah. was, it looked a bit like the earlier virtuality machines in its what it could do, but it was PC-based, I've, I've since learned. Um, and they had interesting input peripherals, like a, a running machine you had to stand on and kind of <laughs> run around. Um, I, I seem to remember a segment where one team had to kind of hide in houses and another team was flying around or driving around in a tank trying to hunt them down. Yeah. One? yeah. Yeah. There we go. Um, I don't think it's a show that's fondly remembered by lots of people, but um, CPC certainly does. Um, the next one is from Lord Borak 316, Robin of Sherwood. Having grown up in on a small holding in rural North Somerset in the early 80s, my two brothers, me and my neighbour, would spend most, most days making bases and pretending to be outlaws in the woods, lighting fires, making longbows, even hammering simple metal swords in the fire, and going on adventures over the fields, scrumping and legging it from the sheriff, in brackets, farmer. I watched the show on DVD or ITV4 with my boys weekly, just like back in the day, and it brings back such fond memories. And now I'll shut up. Glad to see that's continuing. Yeah. Uh, Robin of Sherwood, was that the one with um, Marion? Made Marion taken sort of center stage or was that? Yeah, yeah. She was a clever one. Mar no, that was Made Marion and a Merry Men, wasn't it? That Was oh. was that a different show? So was Robin of Sherwood a more serious one? Hmm. So Robin of Sherwood wasn't the one with British television's yeah, that, that that was a more serious one. It, it was oh, an okay. ITV one, nineteen eighty four to nineteen eighty six. Um, yeah, made Marion was so. I'm I'm thinking TV. the the, the yeah. kind of comedy kind of kids one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
So lots of other great answers in there. Um, we've got nuclear silo for sale, uh, says uh, MASH. Um, and what else? Many, many, blah, 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 blah. mentions Breaking Bad nine. in there. Yeah. Street Hawk, Nightmare, Red Dwarf, Games Master, X Files, Miami Vice. Um, Retro Mash says the Holy Trinity of Auto Man, Manimal, and Street Hawk. What a what a combination! <laughs> Manimal. <laughs> um, X Files is mentioned there. X Files, yeah, good memories of X Files. Uh, Miami Vice. I mean, the thing that you miss out on now. This is what I was thinking when I listened to last week's show and the guy that's streaming old TV. Um, as per when it came out. Um, the thing you're missing now is the cliffhanger by being able to binge directly to the next one. Oh, yeah, yeah, You yeah, don't yeah, have yeah. the cliffhanger and then the week's yeah. wait to say, yeah. oh, I can't wait to see what's going to happen. Talk about it at school or at Lost work. killed the cliffhanger for me. Yeah, Remember that show Lost? Mm-hmm. Because they would do a cliffhanger and then next episode they wouldn't go back to the cliffhanger and then by the time they did two episodes later, it didn't matter. Yeah, yeah Lost killed that for me. Yeah. So thank you to everyone who participated. Uh, we have a new question of the week this week. Dave, do you want to read out the question yeah. of the week? Simple question. What games took you to space? Tell us about your memories. Fantastic. Go and do as much or as little detail as you like. Games that took you into space. Are we are we talking about for the first time or just any good games that they enjoyed? Leave the question as it is. Let's not complicate it. Let's leave it wide open space? for people to answer. Tell us your um, memories. Yeah, fantastic. www.reddit.com slash r slash this week in retro. And you'll find the question of the week there. Of course, it's linked in the show notes. Join in. And thank you very much, everyone, for listening. Um, please do leave us a review uh, using your podcast app or subscribe if you're on YouTube. We are edging ever closer to 10,000 subscribers on YouTube, and we'd love to get there. And we will see you all again, same time, same place, next week. They're waving. This Week in Retro was presented by Neil from RNC The Cave, Chris from 005 Agema, and Dave. It was produced by me, Duncan Styles. The podcast version of the show is available through your favourite podcaster, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And the video version is available on the This Week in Retro YouTube channel. Join our community subreddit at r slash thisweekinretro to suggest and vote on the stories we cover on the show. If you watch This Week in Retro on YouTube, please give us a like and subscribe to help us reach new viewers. If you enjoy our show and would like to support it, then please check out the link to our Patreon page in the show notes or description. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time for more up-to-date news for out-of-date tech.